This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cool Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 228 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we continue a look with a very seasonal, sound Halloween look at some of the eerier and spookier creatures and characters from Irish folklore. We have another tale of the shape-shifting fairy known as the Puka, and this is specifically a story about a Puka in Kildare. And But before we get down to that, a very big warm welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners. If this is your first episode, this is a very good example of what we do here on Fireside. It's a very traditional kind of episode. So if you enjoy it, why not stick around and head back right through the ranks uh, to the previous 227 episodes. See what we've been building up to over the last nearly five years of the podcast at the time of recording. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. All of the usual ways you can support the podcast. You can follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. You can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Share this on your stories. Tell your friends about it. It's still the best way to continue to grow the podcast. And if you want to support me in a more direct way, you can buy my book, Garden Sea, which is about to turn two years old in a couple of months, which is very exciting. Um, it's been an incredible journey uh, with, with the book especially because of all of you that have bought it through the podcast. The podcast has been the best place to uh, to outsource it and to send it all around the world. Uh, the Garden Sea is a poetry collection and neo-myth of home uh, that is available in paperback that can be shipped anywhere around the world from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version on Amazon instantly. Um, and all of the links are in the description below, as is the link to join Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com where for as little as five euro a month although you can pay more if you want you can directly support the podcast those are all the hard sells out of the way it's lovely to be recording with you again it's lovely to be back in a, a real burst of recording and creativity with Fireside with the four episodes released last week to make up for last week's earlier in the year this will be a similar uh, week there'll be four coming out this week if you're listening to this podcast in six months or a year or two years after recording, none of this will mean anything to you. But for those who listen to these podcasts as they've come out, these are especially for you, for your patience um, during the missed weeks this year. 
and a perfect time of the year it is as certainly at the time of recording it is as miserable and floody and raining as possible outside the window and that is the perfect time for storytelling that is where these stories came about for people taking shelter around a fire and here to get down to the story itself is he's he's one of my favorite or they one of my favorite kind of creatures I have a particular interest in things that shapeshift, things that are malleable and can serve various functions. And a particular interest of Irish fairies or the she is their questionable morality and their ethics uh, in that these creatures can be benevolent, malevolent, and certainly this creature who is the puka, who is the trickster shapeshifting fairy, he is very much to a species what Loki or Maui is in their respective uh, mythologies and cultures. And the Puka, the Puka is that embodied. And so with this tale, it's a very specific tale from the Fairy and Folk Tales of WB Yeats. Um, I believe that it's linked in the description below. Uh, but this gives, because it's been some time since we've done an episode on the Puka, this will give a little more of a background and... Um, we will, of course, talk more about it afterwards. But this is the tale of the Kildare Puka on Fireside. The Kildare Puka. There was a lord who lived in a beautiful townhouse in the picturesque Georgian Dublin area of Merrion Square. The house overlooked the park that would later be frequented by, and some parts in fact honoured to, Oscar Wilde. But after the outbreak and quashing of the 1798 rebellion, and the increasing unrest growing on the island of Ireland, the lord of this house spent less and less time in Dublin. He wanted no part in the aftermath of this 98 business, as he called it. Despite his vacancy, the Lord deemed that all his staff and servants continued to live and work in the townhouse, to keep the house clean, warm, and ready for his return, whenever that may be. This suited most of the staff. They maintained employment and were paid the same for doing less work than if their boss had been there. However, as time went on in the increasingly quiet home, however, as the time went on in the increasingly quiet house, the staff began to hear each and every creak of wood and wind throughout the house. A terrible clatter could be heard from the kitchen late every single night. First the butler heard it, then the scullery maid, and eventually the entire staff. And they were frightened by it. So one night all of the kitchen staff stayed up late in the kitchen itself. They lit a roaring fire and ate and drank the food and drink that would expire before their master's return anyway, so there was no harm. They sang and told stories and laughed louder than they ever had. The stable boy, who usually slept in the loft above the horses, heard the commotion and came in to warm himself by the hearth. 
He had no interest in merriment. He was merely looking for the heat of the fire, and soon fell asleep. The staff all grew tired and called it a night, completely forgetting about the sleeping stable boy. The lad woke up some time later as the fire grew fainter. He was surprised to find he was alone in the kitchen. He went to stoke the fire when he realized he was not alone at all. A great big donkey was standing over the fire. It gave the boy a fright. This donkey was about the size of the stallions he groomed every day. How, how did you get in here? the stable boy asked. The ass turned and looked vacantly at him, as donkeys do. But then the beast did something that donkeys don't do. The big ass sighed and gently said, Well, I suppose I better get on with it. The stable boy then realized that this was no donkey. This was a shape-shifting spirit of the other world. This was the puka. The boy feared he would be eaten alive. The puka approached and with his front hooves picked up the boy off the hearth. Please, no, the boy cried. The puka looked at the boy and burbled his lips. In total disregard, the beast threw the boy away from the fire. The puka then went to the cupboard and produced a large pot, which he mounted onto the fire. He filled the pot with water and let it come to a boil. The boy would have been impressed that all of this was being accomplished with the use of hooves, but he was too scared to think of such things. When the water had boiled, the puka then began to pile all the dirty dishes, cutlery, cups, pots, and pans into the water and scrubbed them clean. He then dried each and every piece and returned them to their rightful place in the cupboard. Finally, the puka swept and mopped the floor. The kitchen now gleaming, the puka gave one final glance to the frozen stable boy, smiled, and left. Well, the stable boy had quite the tale to tell to the rest of the house staff the following day. Rather than being frightened by the prospect of a spirit from the other world invading their home every night, the staff were delighted to finally have found the source of the mysterious noise. And one clever and lazy maid even had the notion. Wait, so if the puka has been cleaning up every night anyway, why have we been doing any work at all? The rest of the staff could not argue with this logic. So, with still no sign of their lord and master, the staff of the Merrion Square townhouse continued to eat and drink their fill of wines, breads and cheeses each night and went to bed leaving the kitchen in an absolute state. Each night they now listened with anticipation of the clattering sounds of the puka and every morning they found the kitchen spotless. Suddenly the put-upon staff thought they were the luckiest in the world with the easiest paycheck ever earned. But the stable boy, 
who had actually encountered the puka, could not let this rest. He was fascinated by all things related to the other world, and did not want to pass up an opportunity to interview an otherworldly being. He also felt embarrassed for his cowardice when he first met the puka. So that night, when everyone else was asleep, and the kitchen was once again a pigsty, the stable boy waited alone. Sure enough, the puka once again appeared, still in the form of a monstrous ass. Sir, the stable boy began, thinking a formal approach best. I, I hope you don't consider it rude of me to ask, but why do you come here every night and do the work of the already lazy kitchen staff? The puka trotted forward. I don't consider it rude at all. I thank you for asking, and I will tell you. Long ago I was a servant in this house for your master's father. When my time came to go to the other world, this became my punishment. What I am being punished for is none of your concern. But every night I am bound to return to this kitchen. That's awful, said the boy. He enjoyed his work in the stables, but didn't want to do it for all eternity. Is there anything I can do to help? Well, it isn't bad work when the weather is fine, said the puka. But winters such as this can be rough. My coat is thick, but the weather is harsh. Sometimes I do wish I had a coat to wear to warm me while I work. Say no more, said the stable boy. The next night, when the puka returned, the boy was there waiting for him with one of the master's overcoats. It was an old coat, found in a rarely used storage closet. The stable boy did not think the lord would ever miss it, when and if he ever returned. The puka took the coat and put it on standing on two legs as he once had in human form. What a perfect fit. I thank you, kind stable boy. Now, I must be off. The stable boy was confused. He looked around. The kitchen was still in a mess. It had got messier and messier each night, and this night there were rotting chicken bones and red wine stains everywhere. Aren't you going to clean up? the stable boy asked. The dashing puka, in his long black coat, flicked his ass's ears and shook his head with a smile. Not tonight, and never again. I was bound to clean this kitchen until I was deemed worthy of clothing as a reward for my efforts. You, stable boy, have just released me from my bond. It was you who revealed me and told the rest of this lazy, ungrateful staff. And now you can give them one final message from the puka. Clean up your own mess. And with that, the puka disappeared. You can imagine how much of a fool the stable boy felt. When the staff of the house came down the following morning, they were horrified to see their own mess uncleaned. That lazy puka, 
cried the lazy maid. The stable boy sheepishly appeared, and with great pain confessed that he had been hoodwinked by the puka, who now never would return. The master of the house did eventually return to Dublin, and the staff returned to their normal life. Even though they had been used to the work, it now felt twice as hard. They had known the luxury of being paid to do nothing, and nothing would ever be the same again. For the puka can never truly be tamed. The End So if the security guard never saw Aoife leave the building, how could Mark have committed the crime? And then there's a letter from the confession box. Anyway, sorry for the rambling voice note. But to answer your question, no. If this sounds like you, then Headstuff Podcasts competition Join the Cast is offering you the chance to record your own podcast series worth €50,000. Simply pitch your idea at jointhecast.ie. T's and C's apply. And there we have the tale of the Kildare Puka on Fireside, which I'm just noticing now. <laughs> um, like this story is set in Dublin, in the ad- in the story in the version I adapted it from, um, and I sometimes change the names of these stories if I can think of what I feel is a a better name that can capture what the story is about or. Sometimes just make it a little bit more of a hook, you know. Um, but often I don't. And this is a case where I didn't. This is called Kildare Puka in the book. And my version is called the Kildare Puka as well. And in the book it is adapted. It is set in Dublin. Um, I changed it from Stephen's Green to Marion Square. Because the story of um, the Changeling Bride, which... As an example, was a story that I changed the name of that had a different name in the book. Um, but I liked the name of The Changing Bride. That was set in Stevens Green, so I wanted to set this one in Marion Square because I really like Marion Square and those beautiful old Georgian townhouses. And just imagining like the time that they were first built where they weren't offices or multiple apartments. They were just like one family in one house. Um, I could really picture that. But no mention of Kildare. <laughs> and this is so this is a puka from Kildare but not necessarily a Kildare puka um, or not necessarily a story set in Kildare because in some versions uh, in some puka tales he is, there is one puka and that is all pukas uh, and then in others it seems to be a species um, and this this story is particularly interesting because this is a story that implies that the puka was, or doesn't imply, says directly that the puka was once a human. He was once a man and went to the other world, which mortals typically don't because the other world is not, is not exactly heaven. You know, it has a lot more in common with um, kind of like the Elysian fields or Mount Olympus for uh, in Greek mythology. Uh, the other world is a place for gods and spirit folk and at the very most for mortals, heroes. Um, but in this story, the other world functions as a kind of um, 
as a kind of heaven or hell in which this mortal person has gone and has been cursed by being turned into one of the other folk, has been cursed to turn into and to become a puka and is bound to return to his old place of employment each and every night and um, and clean the kitchen every night. And the twist in the story is, of course, that this master is away and the kitchen staff are enjoying staying in the house while the master is away and having parties every night. And then when they realize that they don't even have to clean up after themselves, it's happy days and they can just have a holiday of which they're being paid for until their master ever returns. Um, and it's interesting that it, it, it does talk about the 1798 rebellion at a time where some of the Protestant ascendancy of which the master in this story certainly would have been one if he was living in a townhouse in, in Marion Square, um, that it was around the time when they were all starting to leave, um, which kind of reached its apotheosis naturally during the famine, which was about 50 years after this, um, at which point all of these beautiful townhouses that had been used for one family, uh, they became tenement buildings in which it went from one family to a house to often ten families to a room. And once these went from being this source, so these houses went from being like a source of wealth to a source of poverty uh, in in the space, over the space of a few years. Um, um, but in this case, we have a tale of when this master was kind of leaving, when these people, these lords and ladies were were starting to leave and go back to... England or flee to England or whatever or to America and but it's interesting that he had the plenty of the money for to keep the staff there to keep all the fires lit to keep burglars from coming in and just to kind of uh, all be night watchmen and night watchmen they are when they start to hear all these sounds and I love those descriptions of you know when you are on your own in a in a place especially an unfamiliar place or or a place that's big and old you do start to hear all of the individual little creaks and cracks and sounds and you start to personify them and imagine they are someone or something. I was staying in a house a few weeks ago um, that I was on my own in and uh, I was cat-sitting. I was cat-sitting for my cousin and his wife and <laughs> their cat was quite big and older. Bowie is his name, his great cat. And when I'd be upstairs in bed... I would hear the footsteps below and it sounded like a person um, coming up the stairs and it was just the heavy footfall of this old big cat. And you think that you wouldn't be able to mistake because this cat is still so small, but like you, your mind uh, bigs up these images and expands on it. Um, but in this case, you know, that is where stories like this come from. But in this case, it is the actual puka. And when this stable boy um, decides to confront the puka and find out why he has been sent here and what he wants, um, the puka then reveals his true nature of being the trickster and finds this way to get out of this eternal damnation. And it's curious that it is the gift of clothing because to a lot of, um, to a lot of people... Um, the biggest example of that in media and in literature from the last 20, 30 years is Harry Potter, is the house elves. 
um, the house elves function in a similar a way in that in that a house elf can only be freed from service to a family uh, with the gift of clothing and jk rowling much like uh, problematic as she is um and much like many other fantasy writers took a huge amount from folklore so it's interesting to see a concept like that and wondering what similar kind of tale to this would she have based that concept on um so it was an interesting little twist in it um and an interesting tale in terms of there's a lot there's a lot of Irish stories um and folk tales in general about um you know about temperance you know and a lot of Irish folk tales are about drunks and people who drink too much or overindulge on food and and people who don't live morally upright lifestyles and sloth is a huge one a lot of laziness is a huge amount we had the story of the lazy beauty only a few months ago Believe it or not, folks, the power has just gone in my home. Um, it is particularly vicious and stormy out. And I'm now suddenly recording this podcast in the dark, which is, of course, very wonderful and applicable. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, I use a battery-powered uh, recorder for just such an occasion. Um, and it is astonishing, isn't it? Especially doing a podcast about a creature going bump in the night in a dark and lonely house that such a thing should happen at this so it seems quite auspicious perhaps i'm about to encounter a puka myself tonight so yes uh <laughs> think of your fireside bard when you're listening to this episode and wondering what will happen tonight so let me know what you thought about the episode um we have another next week we have another tale of the puka um, which is of the Puka's Tower, which is similarly another tale of uh, drink and temperance as well. A um, couple of great episodes coming up, a couple on the Banshee as well, which I'm all going to record and get out in the next few days um, to get more and another four next week living, leading up to our Halloween special as we continue to catch up on Fireside and get up to 250 episodes by the end of the fourth year and for the fifth anniversary. So all the usual ways you can support the podcast Follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Um, buy my book, Garden, Sea and Neomath of Home. Paperback can be shipped all over the world. Um, and instantly on Amazon, if I Kindle, um, support the podcast at Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com. All the links in the description below. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.